Alright, what's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host for today, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V, and I'm back at it with another recap of Colorado football. It is week 7. This is episode 73, and this will be a very jam-packed episode. A lot happened this last weekend. Myself, Cody Stoffer, and Mason Austin were able to make it to a lot of games this weekend as well, and so there's a lot to talk about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into it. As usual, we're going to start on the middle school level here. So on Saturday, we were able to make it to two middle school football games. Tried to actually make it to three, but, you know, there's some difficulties with a high school game that we were going later that night on Saturday, so we couldn't make it, but still got the update from that game. And so that is the Thunder grade team led by number one, young CMC Chase Pruitt. Um, they got a pretty easy dub I hear. They won 44-0 to in an easy one, so congrats to him. We will for sure be making a Thunder Grey game next week for sure for sure but let me talk about these other games that we went to that Mason and I went to here so the first game Mason and I went to was up in Aurora we watched DJ Bordeaux's Aurora Spartans take on the Hawks Pacific and this was not a close one this was a blowout dub for the Aurora Spartans. In fact, the uh, the Hawks only scored one touchdown, and that was a really long, like, 70 or 80-yard touchdown by their number 22. Other than that, the Spartans basically put 50 on them in a very dominant performance here. To start their game, the running back, number 14, had a very nice 30-yard touchdown run to get it going. Um, following that, number 7 on the Aurora Spartans, he got an interception, his first of two interceptions that he had this game, actually. Uh, and then early on, you know, DJ Bordeaux was finding juice. Number 10, early on, on some deep passes, starting with a very nice touchdown pass to the corner of the end zone, where Juice basically mossed the defender for a good 20-yard touchdown pass, 20 or so yards, uh, roughly there. Uh, Sterling Dufour, he had a very good game once again this game as well. He would score two touchdowns on offense while yet again doing his thing on the defense. Like I said, defense only allowed one touchdown, so a very good defensive effort by everyone there. But on offense, Sterling Dufour, he got a 30-yard touchdown pass on a swing pass, I believe. Uh, and then he would eventually get a 20-yard touchdown run later on in this game as well. But... Probably the most, or one of the most exciting plays that happened in this game was when DJ Bordeaux found his boy Tanner uh, for an 80-yard touchdown throw. Uh, roughly about 80 yards is what we're saying. Most of these stuff were, you know... We're, we're estimating because we were on the football field and sometimes you don't always get it exactly right. But it was about 80 yards. It was a beautiful throw. Tanner just beat his guy. DJ led Tanner on. And, you know, Tanner made a very nice um, catch over his shoulder. Once again, for a touchdown. Tanner would also have the last touchdown of the game where he had a very nice 40-yard touchdown run as well. Now, on top of this... DJ Bordeaux obviously had a lot of touchdown passes, but he also had a very long touchdown run that was about 50-plus yards where he just burnt the defense down the sideline. And so, you know, there you go. A lot of scoring for the Aurora Spartans. Very productive on offense. They're finally clicking. 
I also want to give credit to the offensive line. They've been getting better every single game as well, giving DJ a very clean pocket a lot of the time. And, you know, with whoever's running the ball, uh, they're they're having open lanes and they're having open holes to hit and whatnot. And so big kudos to that Aurora Spartans offensive line doing their thing as a go-ahead and take care of this Hawks team. Now... After this game, you know, myself and Mason stayed for the Raptors Silver versus Spartans Chrome game. Now, most of these players on this Raptors team are from the Colorado Springs to Castle Rock area, uh, more or less. And so Mason and I actually got to talk to a good number of these players, you know, that, um, that we're going to talk about right now, actually. And so... Before I get into it, uh, this Raptors team actually had a dominant win of their own, winning 40-0, to not allowing any points. The defense was balling out, and offensively, uh, they were doing their thing. And so, you know, there were a lot of people who scored touchdowns. Notably, our guy, number 9, Jaden Rin, pulled in a 40-yard touchdown pass from quarterback um, number 1, Amari Kyle. Uh, by the way, Amari Kyle would uh, have another touchdown pass later in this game, but that 40-yard touchdown pass was probably his, uh, I would say probably one of his best plays of the game. For Jaden Wren, you know, he just got behind the DB and then just burnt him deep for that one, so that was a big-time play there. And then running back slash receiver, number four, Kobe Dooley, one of the fastest kids uh, in the entire country, actually. He's a track star nationally. He impressed a lot throughout this game, had a lot of great runs that set up multiple touchdown drives. You know, um, this Raptor Silver team had a lot of short touchdown passes that were completed to end off their drives, but a lot of that was due to Kobe Dooley, you know, just doing his thing. Um, Man, he, he was impressive. He definitely impressed. You know, notably, he had a very nice, I think it was like a either a 70-plus yard touchdown run or 80-yard touchdown run. But whatever, he had a really big 80-yard touchdown run that counted near the end of the game. Now, he had multiple other 40-plus yard touchdown runs, but unfortunately, they were called back. I think there were two or three of them as well. And so, um, the stats probably doesn't do him justice, but he was eating this entire game. You know, Kobe Dooley, he is a player to look out for as a running back. Not only does he have that speed, and you know, that speed was apparent because there were times where you could tell he wasn't hitting that last gear yet, you know? He had another gear in him, but he was still burning defenders. But also, Kobe obviously had some of that toughness and strength as well. He would be finishing off runs very physical, uh, you know, just throwing his shoulder into the defender or, you know, showing that he could break a lot of tackles as well. And so not only is he fast, but he's very strong, uh, probably to an underrated degree as well. You know, right now, Kobe Dooley looks to be the next Q Jones type of running back to come out of Colorado, you know, and, uh, I mean, I don't say that every day, it's not every day you find a Q Jones type, but Kobe, you know, he just has the juice, and so he's definitely a player to look out for, he really did his thing, along with a lot of the other players on this Raptors team. Now, other than Kobe Dooley, the other guy that impressed both me and Mason Austin the most was number 64. Look, we've struggled to, like, pronounce his name, but we'll get in one of these names for now. We'll call him T.I., and so T.I., number 64, 
was killing this game, man. Uh, I think there was one drive specifically where Mason was counting. He was like, dude, this guy has like four or five pancakes on this drive alone. <laughs> and he was playing both sides. He was playing defense as, as well. And on defense, you know, he was just blowing up plays within seconds. I think there was one play as well that Mason pointed out where he just flipped the kid over his shoulder and then he went on and blew up a play on defense blasting another blocker and so not only is he a great offensive lineman but he's a great defensive lineman as well and he's almost unblockable i believe when i was looking him up he's around uh and this is according to colorado prep red zone i want to say but he was around 61 285 uh, right now and so he looks it for sure he definitely looks it he is a big boy who could move really well too actually and so he impressed a lot there was barely any plays where he really let anybody through and on defense you know it was just constant pressure up the middle every single time he's just chucking players here and there and then making huge plays and honestly this raptors team have some big boys they got two other linemen as well on the team who, you know, played a very good game as well. And, you know, Mason and I, we will for sure be at their next game on Saturday over at Arapahoe High School and check them out as well. We'll get their numbers written down and shout them out. But they had an excellent game. And so this Raptor Silver team, man, they are on an absolute roll right now. Right now, they only have one loss on the season, and that is to Brady Vodka's Bruins, uh, Cherry Creek. They lost to them 16 to 6. And so, we're hopefully going to be following this Raptors team whenever we can. Check out their games. We'll for sure be there on Saturday. On Saturday, we will also check out the Aurora Spartans and, and uh, the Thunder Gray team that Chase Pruitt is on as well and so next week we'll have a another longer middle school recap but without further ado let's go ahead and head into high school right now all right so let's go ahead and talk 1a football this was kind of a big week for 1a football there are some good games some upsets here and there and uh, our very own cody stoffer was actually able to make a wiggins yuma game that ended in a very exciting fashion and so i'll play that at the end here but let me talk about the other games that went down this last weekend on the 1a level so 1a we have holyoke versus ray they played on friday night now this is a game that we probably had Holyoke winning, but this Ray team has been surging, and it showed as they go ahead and upset Holyoke 28-11. Ray had three different players score a rushing touchdown between Casey Midcap, Cade Bauer, and Rice Peterson to go ahead and beat a very tough Holyoke team. Um, notably, junior Peyton Wade also had two interceptions this game, you know, this game was only 11-28, so it's kind of a closer one. Those two interceptions proved to be vital in this dub for Ray to beat Holyoke once again, 28-11. Ray, after this huge dub, goes ahead and moves to 5-1. They will be playing Lyman this Friday, and so that'll be another big test coming up. They'll be playing Lyman at home, actually. Then Holyoke drops to 4-2. They have a big game of their own. They're going to be playing Wiggins on Friday, and so they got a big one coming up as we are heading into the end of this regular season here. 
Another big game that happened this Friday, or this last Friday, Florence beat Grand Valley 48-0. Now Florence, obviously, I think we have them favored. Most people have them favored. But Florence does rattle off their seventh straight win as they enter their bye week. I don't believe they have lost yet this season. Could be wrong, though, but I don't think they have. Uh, but when they come back from their bye week, they do have a showdown with Buena Vista. Just wanted to make sure. Mentioned Florence here. Uh, junior quarterback for Florence, Levi Paxton, went 7 of 10 for 124 passing yards, four touchdowns, and only one interception. Once again, as Florence wins their seventh straight. Another key game on the 1A level was this Meeker versus North Fork game. Uh, both of these teams, I believe, each lost one or two games this season, but they're still in it. They're still in the playoff hunt, and so this was going to be an important one. Meeker goes ahead and beats North Fork, giving North Fork their second straight loss, dropping them to 4 and 2, while Meeker goes ahead and improves the 4-2. Now, Kelton Turner, he had an excellent game against North Fork, rushing 19 times for 256 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Per usual, carrying this Meeker offense on defense. This Meeker defense did a very good job. And they ate, you know, Chase Callahan and Buzz Clatterbaugh. They each had a sack. Trinden Powell and Connor Blunt each had an interception. Zachary Eskelson and Judd Harvey each had a fumble recovery. And so this Meeker defense was flying against North Fork. Doing a very good job beating them once again, 30-13. to and now the last Friday game that I want to talk about that happened this last weekend. Banning Lewis Academy versus Denver West. I'll talk about this one real quick. Basically, Banning Lewis won 42-0, moving to 4-2 as they enter their bye week. Senior quarterback Caden Levi had a great game, going 11-16 of 16 for 158 passing yards. Three passing touchdowns. He also rushed 13 times for 82 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown as Banning Lewis continues to keep their playoff hopes alive in yet another dominant win. And then there's only one Saturday 1A game that I want to talk about here real quick. And that is the Strasburg versus Prospect Ridge Academy. Strasburg won once again, keeping their season and playoff hopes alive as they improved to four and three, absolutely killing a one and five. Well, now one and five. Prospect Ridge Academy team. Five different players scored a rushing touchdown on offense for eight total rushing touchdowns, including Caleb Hart. He had 38 yards, two touchdowns. Zach uh, Marrero, who we want to talk about probably soon here, will eventually get a breakdown at the end of the season. But he's been an he's been on our radar, uh, just killing it this season so far, and doing it once again. This game as well, rushing six times, only six times, for 110 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. That means half of his carries went for touchdowns, which is insane. Then Thomas Devlin, Bryce Miller, and Talon Hall each got a rushing touchdown as well as Strasburg goes ahead and beats Prospect Ridge Academy 67-0. to Now coming up here is going to be Cody. He is going to talk about the Wiggins-Yuma game that he attended. Hey, y'all. It's Cody Stoffer. And I'm going to be talking about the 1A matchup between Wiggins and Yuma High School. Wiggins being the home team and Yuma on the road. They travel all the way to Wiggins, as I did as well. But Yuma coming from further east into Wiggins, Colorado. I believe they were the underdog. Both of these teams were very good leading up to this point in the season. Yuma came in with a 
three and two record, having lost the previous week to the defending 1A champions in Lyman, 34 to 10. But before that, they only lost to Strasburg, who were the state runner-ups. So, you know, they were able to compete pretty well. And little did I know until I went to the game and I connected with the radio host of 100.9 KNEC. That was Mark over there who was calling the game. He informed me that Clay Robinson had actually gotten hurt during the Highland game and was not present for the Sydney game. And that Sydney game being a Nebraska team. So that was interesting to find out about and that, you know, Clay's elbow, Clay Robinson being the quarterback for Yuma, that his elbow was a little banged up and maybe not 100%, but he still overall, I'd say, had a pretty solid game. But regardless, you know, Yuma came in 3-2. and two. This was their second league game in a very competitive league that includes Lyman, it includes Wiggins, it includes Ray, as well as Holyoke. And speaking of Ray, you know, Wiggins, they had their first loss of the season just before this game to fall to 4-1 against Ray High School. And I know that, you know, that was a game with a lot of struggling on both sides. But, you know, Ray, they moved the ball really well on the offensive side of the ball. And if you want to hear more about that game, listen to last week's recap where I talked about that game. But, you know, Wiggins and Yuma both came in off of losses to really good teams. And both of them, you could argue, really needed to win this game to remain relevant in league play. And so I'm going to talk about what happened in this game and some of the things that I found interesting. And some names that you'll be hearing throughout this episode pretty consistently is Laith and Mohammed Ibrahim. Those are two brothers over there at Wiggins High School who play guard, D-line, and linebacker. And you also have Damon Thornton, who plays for Yuma. He's just one of the athletes there, as well as Yahir Trejo. He's one of the he's the lead running back, I'd say, in that backfield. And then you also have Clay Robinson, who's their quarterback, who's more of a runner. And then once again on the Wiggins side, you have a Cole Kerr and an Omar Perez. Those are all names that you'll be hearing somewhat often throughout this game. So first off, I would just want to say I was really surprised to see that Mohammed kicks. For Wiggins especially considering that he's a oh he's a guard and a linebacker and you know he's a pretty okay kicker he doesn't get as many touchbacks as a lot of other kickers in the state but all things considered not too bad and a definite surprise but you know Damon Thornton he was returning a lot of kicks this game and he put Yuma in a lot of great positions and he did on this very first drive you know where he got them all the way to the 43 yard line and you know in the, in the first quarter, it looked like Wiggins was going to give Yuma a lot of troubles and fits in the run game based off of this drive where, you know, Laith Ibrahim, you know, he's down there on that D-line. He got through the line and tackled you here, and then he got a pressure on the second play that forced, you know, an incomplete pass. And <clears throat> Yuma gets into a situation with only 10 minutes in the first quarter where they, they're running a QB sneak on fourth and short. And they, they get it that early in the game. That's how competitive it was. And it was just a game with a lot of fourth down attempts. It was a game with a lot of big stops. It was a game with just a lot of excitement. But anyways, they get this first down. But then Clay Robinson overthrows a wide open John Smith. And another thing that was weird to see is that they were having a lot of trouble with their snaps at the center position throughout this entire first half. They were either way too low and ended up on the ground and rolled into Clay's hands and he'd kind of have to do a little bit of improv 
or at one point they get a little too high. So I'm not really sure what they did to adjust that. It got significantly better in the second half of the game. I don't know if they went to a backup or if their starting center was hurt or anything like that. I wasn't sure on the story there, but the snaps were bad and it was costing Yuma a lot of opportunities, I'd say, throughout this first half. And so, you know, their drive dies and stalls out and Wiggins gets the ball and Cole Kerr drops an absolute dime down the sideline and it is dropped by Omar Perez and Omar definitely makes up for it later, but he needed to because it was such a beautiful ball that was right in his hands and it was just a tough drop. And, you know, if you get that kind of big play touchdown, because it was a deep bomb that early in the game, then, you know, momentum is everything, especially in this game. And, you know, just because Omar Perez couldn't couldn't get it, uh, Cole Kerr, he took over himself and he went under center and did a cube quarterback draw, which was a consistent play in this Wiggins playbook. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in the aftermath and my takeaways. But then you have Victor Perez for Yuma. He got a sack and it looked like 71 on Wiggins as well as Lathe might have had a miscommunication, but the edge rushers were doing pretty good work for Yuma throughout the night I'd say at least in the pass rush game and especially early on so <clears throat> it, it it happens once again and you know Wiggins drive stalls out Lath blows up the O-line every time he's on defense and on the offensive side of the ball he's manhandling anybody who's in front of him at guard and one note that I have here is that Wiggins needed to improve contain because Clay Robinson I talked to once again Mark over there at that radio station who was doing the broadcast for Yuma and Clay Robinson is one of the faster athletes in this entire state if you look at his track numbers you know he's he's a runner he's a track star and it was evident on this Friday night because he consistently was just getting to the edge I wouldn't say that he's the best at reading where the gap is or where the hole is that he's supposed to hit but he's so dang fast especially on this level that you know you don't athletes are you know, less likely to just pop up on these smaller schools than on the bigger schools that he can beat a lot of these guys to the edge. And he was doing that constantly until, you know, <clears throat> he, until their drive kind of stalled out. Then, you know, it was interesting to see Cole Kerr and the Wiggins offense run kind of a RPO with a split back. And he found Trey Hewa on a slant and Hewa was a pretty good, you know, player throughout the night he made some good plays on the defensive side of things some good tackles as well as some catches on the offensive side but you know through the first half they Yuma sacked Cole Kerr three times and that was very it, it was interesting I'd say and ultimately I like I said they all came off of the edge more or less so that is something that the tackles are gonna have to work on is definitely you know pass protection especially heading down the rest of the schedule for Wiggins here because it gets harder this year with, with some really tough opponents. I know that they have Holyoke next week, so they're going to want to shore up that pass protection. And, you know, Cole Kerr kind of struggled this game. In the red zone, he throws an interception that Damon Thornton for Yuma made a play on, but it looked like it looked like the receiver wasn't quite ready for the ball and the ball was just a little overthrown and too high for the receiver. It 
uh, it looked like a miscommunication interception more than anything. And but an interception's an interception, and that's just how it was. So you you had that going, and <laughs> Yuma gets the ball because they got an interception. They took it out of the red zone, but that ended up not being super great for this Wiggins team because or for this Yuma team because they had a snap that went way too high and out of the back of the end zone. So they had a safety in the second quarter of this game that was just free. So looking back on the first half, I talked about all these little notes, but I'm going to talk about the scoring here. And so in the first quarter for scoring, you had a Clay Robinson complete a really long pass to number one, Jesus Ross to put Yuma within the 10 yard line. This was a crossing route going to the left side. And Yuma really liked this rollout left with Clay Robinson. And I was surprised to see a rollout left with a right-handed quarterback as much as I did from this Yuma offense. But honestly, it worked a lot of the time. I think that Wiggins might have had some weaknesses over there on that left side, especially trying to follow Clay Robinson all the way across the field and contain him at the same time as playing the pass. I think that Yuma had a good plan for attacking this Wiggins defense and kind of stretching them thin. It might have been because they didn't want to roll out right with Laith Ibrahim, but, you know, either way, there is, it was certainly an interesting dynamic, but, you know, it worked in this first quarter, and Clay Robinson, he runs in for a touchdown to take a 7-0 lead with a buck 29 left in the first. And then in the second quarter, you had Cole Kerr find Julio Flores for a big gain on a screen. It must have been like a 40-yard screen, I believe it was. And then Trey Hewa is who he found down the right sideline to put Wiggins at the one-yard line. Like I said, Trey had some pretty decent catches this game that put him in some good spots, and then Kolker punched it in himself. Then Yuma, they, they fumbled the ball. It was a great strip by this Wiggins defense, actually, on the ball carrier here for Yuma High School. And so, you know, when you have great defense like that to put you in a good spot, then then heck yeah, and they, they're riding momentum. You know, they just scored a touchdown. They get this strip. They're driving down, and this is where Cole Kerr throws that interception, and Damon Thornton makes a play. Shortly before this, there's so much swinging of momentum in this game because it was such a wild game with such unexpected turns. You have Cole Kerr throwing an interception in the red zone. On the previous drive for Yuma, you had Yahir Trejo getting stripped by a Wiggins defender, and then... On the Yuma drive, you have a snap go right over Clay Robinson's head and out of the back of the end zone for a safety to make it a 9-7 game in the second quarter. And then on off of the punt, Cole Kerr finds Omar Perez deep down the sideline to make it a 16-7 game. And then jump into the second half. It's 16-7. And John Smith for Yuma... You know, he intercepts Cole Kerr. Kerr had a lot of turnovers this night, and I'll talk about that during the end of this game. But John Smith, you know, he forces an interception from Kerr. Well, I wouldn't say force. It was kind of a given one. But anyways, Yuma capitalizes off of this, and you hear Trejo finds the end zone, making it 14-16 with Wiggins leading until Clay Robinson rushes in for a second score of the night to take the lead and make it 21 to 16 Yuma with 452 in the third. But Wiggins just has that ability to score on one play and they deflate Yuma's momentum by throwing an 80 yard touchdown pass to Omar Perez. And then he converted the two point conversion on the ground to make it 24 21 Wiggins. And I tweeted here, you may be tired of hearing it, but Wiggins is loving 
Cole Kerr as he threads the needle to Casey Miller. This was a great throw and one of the best throws of the entire night for him as, you know, he threw it over a linebacker just to the left of a corner and just to the left of a safety who got beat. It was a great ball from Kerr to, you know, put them up 30 to 21 with, actually, I didn't put how much time was left. But anyways, you know, he finds Casey Miller. It's 30 to 21. And this is before Clay Robinson finds Damon Thornton once again, deep down the middle to cross midfield with six minutes left in the fourth. And so they're driving. And then Damon Thornton on a jet sweep of sorts gets a huge run to put Yuma inside of the 10 yard line. I have a video of that on the Twitter thread. If you want to watch it, make sure to follow at Playmaker Corner on Twitter. But then anyways, Yuma punched it in on the very next play and made it 28 to 30 in this game. And so some notes that I had from the third quarter included the likes of, you know, he Cole Kerr was hucking up a lot of passes into questionable coverage. I'm not really sure if he was just desperate looking for a big play in this game that felt so back and forth and momentum based, but he was struggling this game. He had all of his interceptions were definitely questionable passes either into double coverage or underthrown pretty bad. Like the one to John Smith was just kind of a pop fly into center field that John Smith just had to make a play on because it was two on one with the Yuma defenders outnumbering the Wiggins receiver. So, you know, on that same drive where Yuma gets the ball, there is a pretty controversial receiving call made. And I'm going to cut the refs a little bit of slack here. I don't believe it was a catch. I think it did hit the ground. But the angle that the ref who's in charge of making that call was at was on the opposite side of the player. And so the player did a very good job of using his body to kind of shield, I guess, a lot of the view. So you'd have to have a really specific angle to see that it wasn't a catch. But, you know, Yuma capitalized off of that. And, you know, some some holding calls to make this a ball game once again. But, I mean... Look, this this game, I loved how exciting it was, regardless of some questionable calls here in this third quarter. And I think you could see some jitters from this Wiggins team that, you know, most of the time this team was really disciplined throughout this game. But there are times when they would just fall apart all at once. And that's when, you know, things would go from bad to worse and keep Yuma in this game. Like there is this one play on this drive where the line there was like three or four linemen that were eight yards down the field on a pass play i don't know if it was an rpo that went wrong or what but it was definitely a penalty that i could see basically two seconds into the play where the lineman just kept going into the linebackers and cole kerr rolls out to the left side and finds a guy who's open and you know it goes from an eight yard gain to really a five to ten yard loss and they commit another penalty on the exact same drive when it's fourth and three and they're trying to get Yuma to jump with the hard count and they fall start, which was very uncommon this game. Most of the time, the defense jumped off sides on hard counts. 1A football is one of the most disciplined hard count levels that I've seen because I feel like there's a lot of false starts on all the other levels and not so much on this one. So, you know, kudos to that 1A football and that discipline, especially from the Yuma and Wiggins programs. But anyways, you know, that was on fourth and three. That puts them back. They have to punt. Yuma gets the ball. And, you know, th this momentum swings a little bit. But 
some notes that I had from the game is if you're Yuma, how do you not have your corners eight yards off the ball? This was obviously following a deep completion by Cole Kerr, either for a touchdown or for a big gain because they were getting torched all night. They just weren't faster than the Wiggins receivers and Cole Kerr's ball placement put it exactly where either Omar Perez could get it or, you know, just Trey Hua could get it. So, you know, they, they had some dudes that night that were ready to ball out. But anyways, <clears throat> also, if you're Wiggins, how do you not prepare for their one rollout play is what I said. It Look, Yuma probably could have ran that play almost every down because someone was open every single time. But Clay Robinson struggled a little bit rolling to his left or right. He kind of throws really erratic when he's on the run. He doesn't plant his feet, and sometimes the ball just goes straight into the ground. I just got to say to Clay, plant your... You see someone open, you probably have a little bit of time because you're so good at buying time, getting out of that pocket as quick as you do. Plant your feet and then zip that ball. Work on a faster release so that you can complete those passes. But anyways, you know, there's a, a really bad dropped interception by Kalen Blosh here for Yuma that with, with a minute and a half left in the third that really Yuma could have used and maybe could have helped them win this game. But, you know, Wiggins kept them in the game a little bit where, you know, Cole Kerr, he, he's getting battered by these QB draws that are starting to go for less and less yards. He's throwing interceptions. And, you know, I like I compliment him. I say, wow, it, it seems like he figured out the touch and the timing here in the fourth because he makes a great pass to uh, Trey Fasique, I believe is how you say his name, number 88. He's a tight end there. And immediately following this compliment, he throws this horrible, underthrown, wrong read pass because he stares down this tight end running a corner route and he underthrows it straight to the cornerback. That's an interception. And it was, I was just appalled because I know what his ceiling is. I know what his performance is like. And yet he still made this very questionable play. And I know that he had a receiver more open in the middle of the field, but he was pretty dead set on throwing this corner route and it just was not the right read. So you know, there is tough reads throughout the game. I think he was trying to do too much is probably overall what I would say the biggest problem was with Cole Kerr's game on Friday night. But, you know, <laughs> just it, this game, this game got really interesting, right? But anyways, <laughs> but anyways, in this game, it came down to the final minute and a half of this game. Wiggins has the ball up 30 to 28. And this is one of the most exciting and suspenseful closings to a game all season as, you know, all, all Wiggins needs to do essentially is get one more first down. So it's second and seven, I believe. Yuma just used their last time out either on that play or the previous play. And they run that quarterback draw with Cole Kerr. And it looks like he's definitely going to get the first down. But as he's being tackled, the ball pops out and Yuma recovers with one minute and 34 seconds left on the clock. And in the midst of the excitement, two Yuma players are running across the field to shoulder bump each other. The ref is going up to spot the ball and they actually collide into the ref and the ref gets knocked down. But, you know, he's, he springs back up. He comes back up a little bit slow. And so they set the ball down. It's really wild on the Yuma sideline. They're erratic. You know, they have a minute 34 to drive down and they only need to kick a field goal to win by one. And so they get the ball set. They're about to snap the ball and the ref collapses on the field. Now, I did not catch this official's name, but I do hope that he is doing okay, obviously. And 
yeah, we here at Playmakers Corner wish him the best. He had to get stretchered off the field. He did put his hand up and looked like he had some motor control, but he was down on the ground for five, maybe 10 minutes and not moving. So this game with a minute 34 left experiences this delay in this game. The fans are getting restless on both sides of, you know, the sidelines. And eventually the game resumes. Yuma strings together a first down on third and long. And then they string another first down together on a fourth down play. Clay Robinson does it himself. And, you know, with little to no time left, he sprints down the right sideline and he just ekes past the first down mark. And so it comes down to this 12 seconds left. Yuma is lining up for a field goal to win by one. I want to say they're on the 28 or like the 30-ish yard line. It was a pretty decently long field goal, but they have confidence in their kicker. He'd made, you know, all of his PATs that game and whatnot. But they line up for the kick to win it all with 12 seconds left. And Pepper Rusher blocks the kick for Wiggins High School in order to secure the win for Wiggins and Wiggins lands on it. There's like two seconds left. There's a QB Neal. And it was such an exciting moment. The fans were going wild on the Wiggins sideline. Yuma was, you know, they definitely got the win knocked out of them by that play. And it was overall just a really wild game with a appropriate ending. And so I'm going to read through some of the stats here and talk about some of my favorite players through this game. Cole Kerr, what an up and down game. He had three touchdowns and three interceptions, and he had the one fumble as well. It was, but he also had one rushing touchdown. So four touchdowns, but all four turnovers for this Wiggins team. He was just really erratic this game. I think that he was overly committed to plays pre-snap sometimes, and he got lucky that he didn't throw probably another two interceptions. So he's definitely going to have to clean this game up because the Sprague's over at Holyoke are not going to make the same mistakes. They're going to be able to take these interceptions to the house potentially. So Cole definitely needs to settle down, come back, watch the film, and tuck that ball in. In addition to that, I think that Julio Flores for Wiggins, he's a pretty solid athlete. He has pretty good burst. But I think that what he needs to work on is not only carrying the ball in his right hand. Yuma definitely missed some opportunities to force even more turnovers and fumbles by not punching out of it punching it out of his right hand as he's running towards the left sideline. Continuing on, you had Omar Perez. He had two receptions for 141 yards and two scores. Like I said, he had the one 80-yard touchdown and then the other one being a 61-yard touchdown reception. He also dropped a 40 or 50-plus yard touchdown in this game. But, you know, they, they're, these receivers are definitely more on the undersized side, but they are pretty quick, and Cole Kerr does a great job of putting it where they can make a play on it. And I'd like to see, you know, Trey Fasique used a little bit more. I think that he has pretty good size and athleticism for, you know, his position and at that tight end spot. But, you know, Cole just has to get the ball to him over the middle of the field and then not throw it to him when he's not open, obviously. Continuing on, I was very impressed by Laith Ibrahim. My bad. Laith Ibrahim. He had 11 total tackles this game. He was making constant plays in the backfield. And on the offensive side of the ball, he was getting a lot of great plays. You know, he dominated whoever he was on both on both sides of the line. So he was the most impressive lineman, I'd say, from this game. Mohamed Ibrahim was also solid at the guard spot. 
I'd say looking forward to the future, if he's looking to play college ball, I think that he makes a better offensive lineman than a linebacker. I think that he's a very reactive linebacker who kind of waits for the play to come to him more often than not. There are plays where he does, you know, make, make a good stop at the line of scrimmage, but he was definitely focused on a little bit. They usually sent Yuma, that is, they usually sent Hermosillo to go block him on that second level. And if possible, they would also send another guy to block him. So I don't know if it was because of the scheme of Yuma running that game or if it was because of Mohammed's play style. But I do want to hopefully see him utilized on more blitzes and see if he can make some more plays in the backfield. Then obviously you have Pepper Rusher, candidate for player of the week. He had 13 tackles in this game and the blocked field goal to win it which was super impressive. Trey Fasik, he had a sack on the defensive side of the ball in addition to that one catch for, or, you know, he had two catches for 25 yards. So, you know, they had quite a few guys making plays all over the field for this Wiggins team. And yeah, it was a really exciting game for, for both guys. But I'm going to talk about the players that I want to see on Yuma and the strides that I want to see them make. So Clay Robinson, like I said, he's kind of erratic when he's throwing on the run. I just want to see him plant and then drive his feet into throws. When he did plant and set his feet, he had a beautiful dime over the middle of the field, deep down the field to Damon Thornton. And so, you know, I think that's something to look at and see, okay, why did this work? Oh, it worked because of this. So maybe I should do it a little bit more. I got to see you here, Trejo in person as well. He won a player of the week for us a few weeks back. And I thought he had pretty solid vision, but like Clay Robinson, he does tend to bounce outside a little bit more or he just runs straight up the middle. I think he's one of those guys where you tell him where he's running before the play and he's going to run in that direction kind of no matter what. So I think his vision could use a little bit of work and I won't put the fumble on him too much. It was a great strip just on the Wiggins side of things more than anything else, I would say. And then as far as the receivers go, you know, I think Damon Thornton is one of the best athletes on this team. You know, Jesus Ross, he probably should have scored a touchdown on his reception across the middle, but he didn't just have enough juice to get quite into the end zone. I think Damon Thornton does a lot for you on offense between running the ball and catching the ball. And he's just a great athlete for this human team that I'm excited to see grow and hopefully get more touches as the season progresses. And then on the defensive side of the ball for Yuma, you know, you had a great performance out of Kalen Blotch, but it's hard to overshadow that dropped interception that could have really changed this game. So just working on those hands, but ultimately had pretty good flow to the ball. Same with Victor Perez on this team. And, you know, they, they, they ended with three tackles for loss on this Yuma sideline, as well as three sacks. Like I said, you had Victor Perez getting one of those sacks, Kalen Blosh getting a half sack, Herman Sio, who's a great athlete, Hermosia. I'd like to see them get the ball in his hands, maybe in the pass game a little bit more. He was responsible for that one kind of controversial catch, but I think that he has a good frame at that tight end position. And I think he has pretty solid strength as well, as far as when he was blocking Mohammed Ibrahim, you know, going to that second level, he's a pretty good athlete. So I'd like to see him also get more touches for this Yuma team that, you know, I, while Clay Robinson is one of the best athletes in the state, I think that you can't ask him to win every single game for you. Just, you know, that, that's a lot to ask of any player on any sport, especially in a team sport with 11 guys. He did have 28 carries for 134 yards and three touchdowns. But, you know, if he's that good in the red zone and he's that good in general, it'll help just getting a lot more misdirection going, I think. But 
you know, shout out to the Yuma coaching staff. They coached a heck of a game and, you know, I'm excited to see where these players go and I'd love to see them in the playoffs. They do have a pretty tough schedule heading down the stretch here where they have next week. Oh, sorry, wrong tab. Next week they have Burlington. This should be a very winnable game. And then they end the season with Ray and Holyoke and all of these teams are gunning for playoff spots and they have to win one of these two games, I think, to finish the season. For any hope of playoffs, they have to finish the season at five and four. I think that's how they're going to have to do it. Versus Wiggins, where they have a Holyoke game at home once again. This is going to be a great game. Holyoke is kind of in a must-win situation after losing last week to Ray. And then they have Lyman at the end of the season with Burlington in between. So I think that Wiggins, you know, you're looking at a... I'll say six and three at the worst, and you still make the playoffs, but hopefully a seven and two record. I don't know how they're going to match up against Lyman. Lyman has appeared invincible this entire season, and nothing has really changed my mind on them. So, you know, that, that's kind of what those two teams are looking like. Otherwise, thank you so much for giving us such a great game, and I'm very excited to see more 1A football. And Thank you to the coaching staffs of both teams for being so hospitable, especially the Wiggins fans and, you know, just that community. Thank you for being so welcoming to Playmakers Corner, and we hope to see y'all again in the playoffs. All right. Thank you, Cody Stoffer, for that recap of that Wiggins and Yuma game. It sounded like a classic one. And that'll be the last game that we talk about on the 1A level. Make sure you stay tuned for the players of the week um, on the 1A level and for every level coming up at the end of the episode or near the end of the episode. But you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about the 2A level of football here in Colorado. Alright, so on the 2A level, we only have three games that we're going to talk about, but these are three pretty big games, uh, or at least two of them are. First off, let me talk about this TCA versus Lamar game that happened last Friday. Um, it was a blowout. TCA, uh, they beat down Lamar 70-13. to TCA has a huge explosion on offense thanks to the efforts of running back, senior running back, Cade Palmer, and senior quarterback Sam Gilas. Uh, they they just killed it. Ethan Aragundi, he had a great game as well. And so let me go ahead and talk about their stat lines. Uh, Cade had 17 carries for 178 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. Sam, he went 9 of 17 for 158 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and one interception. And then Ethan Aragundi, a junior, actually had three sacks on defense, but also had 12 carries for 105 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns as TCA goes ahead and beats Lamar and stays undefeated for the season. Going up north, though, we have a showdown between University and the Academy. University last week dropped a pretty big game versus Severance. You know, that Severance defense came to play. And so they're looking to potentially bounce back versus the Academy uh, in Westminster. And so University would actually win 41-28, to improving to 4-2 uh, while dropping the Academy to 4-2, getting a huge dub, mostly in thanks to quarterback Greg Garza, who absolutely stepped it up this game and showed that he can be a quarterback that you can lean on. And so that definitely has some potential playoff implications moving forward as we did see his potential. Now, Greg Garza, he won 15 of 22 for 250 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. He also carried the ball 11 times for 44 yards and two rushing 
touchdowns. Uh, Kanan Padilla once again also had a great game. Uh, he had nine receptions for 192 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. And so you best believe both of these guys are up for player of the week on the two-way level. But huge win by University to bounce back and beat a good academy team 41-28 to once again. And then the last 2A game that I'm going to talk about happened on Saturday. And, you know, this was a game that Cody and I talked about in the 2A preview before the season. And this is the Eden versus Resurrection Christian game. I think it happened up in Eden. Um, and it was a close one, you know. Both of these teams have been rolling. Both of them, I believe, are undefeated with Resurrection Christian just absolutely scoring a whole ton of points on every team they play. While Eden, on the other hand, yes, they are scoring a lot of points, but their defense has been one of the most dominant defenses on 2A. Not even on 2A, but in Colorado, period. And so, basically, Eden won 10-6 in a very, very close game. Most of the fireworks, at least in my opinion, happened in the first half. Um, they're, I think their one touchdown... Yeah, their one touchdown came from a 10-yard rush from Ryan Dirksen. Their defense also got a safety in the first quarter as well. Rez only scored one touchdown this game. Uh, and then in the second half, you know, it was just, it was a close one. You know, it was uh, both defenses were getting turnovers, getting turnovers on downs, forcing turnovers and doing their thing. But ultimately, Eden would come out of this one and survive a Rez game 10-6. to You know, this is probably, well, this is the closest game for either squad, but this is definitely a game that Rez could have won uh, as much as Eden could have lost, honestly. And so this will be a game that, you know, we probably look back at as we head into the playoffs. And, you know, we'll see if, um, well, we'll just see if how much these two teams learned from their first matchup, because this might not be their last matchup moving forward. But Eden goes ahead and wins an exciting one to remain undefeated Rez getting their first loss on the season. With that being said, that'll wrap up the 2A recap. Like I said, a very short one, but let's go ahead and talk about 3A. So we have some games here. Uh, on Thursday, we have Fort Morgan versus Niwot. Now, Fort Morgan, obviously very heavily favored in this game. They go ahead and win 52-27 to and a huge offensive explosion, improving to 5-0. They will be playing Mountain View next week. And then going into Friday, here's where we have most of our matchups that we're going to talk about on the 3A level, that is. And so, first off, we got Steamboat Springs versus Eagle Valley. This was a close game, but Steamboat Springs survives and wins 31-30, to improving to 5-1, having a sneakily good season over there at Steamboat Springs. And they go ahead and drop uh, Eagle Valley to 3-2. And you know, Steamboat Springs, uh, they really win this one because of their quarterback, Jake Hamrick, or Hamrich, I want to say. Um, he won 23 of 38 for 314 passing yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers. He also had eight carries for 28 yards and one touchdown as Steamboat Springs goes ahead and beats a solid Eagle Valley team 31 to 30. Steamboat will actually play Glenwood Springs next week in a very exciting matchup there and so uh, there you go now we have two games uh, this Friday night on the 3a level that were really important uh, I'm going to talk about the one that I didn't go to and that 
is the Lutheran versus Evergreen game. Both of these teams were undefeated. Now, before I talk about this game, I just want to um, give my condolences to the Evergreen community, the high school coaching staff team. Um, unfortunately, one of their coaches, I don't know if it was their head coach or a coordinator or something, but one of their coaches died suddenly uh, this last week before this Lutheran game. And so... Obviously, losing a coach of this suddenly is never easily, both mentally and uh, physically as well for the squad as well. And so, you know, as much as you want to count this game, and it still counts record-wise, uh, there's definitely something to be said about where this team might have been playing so soon afterwards. But Lutheran would go ahead and beat this Evergreen team 46-2. to uh, This was going to be a tough game anyways. Lutheran has been on fire, absolutely blasting every single team they've played so far. And so Evergreen really was going to need everything they needed to beat this team. But unfortunately, they just could not get it done. And so Lutheran goes ahead and stays undefeated while Evergreen gets their first loss on the season. So not bad. Evergreen actually, you know, making some noise this season, doing a very nice job there. Now, uh, Lutheran, you know, on the other hand, looks very strong. They Every week, they continue to look like a contender, continue to look like a team that can not only go to state, but win it all. And, you know, part of that is, you know, in credit to their quarterback and running back, uh, Clayton Jacobs and Dorian Pacheco. Now, this game, Clayton Jacobs, he won 12 of 22 for 238 passing yards, Three passing touchdowns. He also carried the ball nine times for 58 yards and two rushing touchdowns. Uh, Dorian Pacheco on defense first off got a sack. But on offense, he had seven carries for 71 yards, a rushing touchdown. And then he had one receiving touchdown for 55 yards. Once again, Lutheran staying undefeated. Or Evergreen will look to figure it out next week. Now... The game of the week, the game of last week actually, and the game that we had circled since August, Roosevelt versus Meade in Johnstown at Roosevelt High School. Um, this one started out as a good one, and first off, before I say anything, you know, really love the Roosevelt Stadium and the people of Johnstown. When I was there, they were super nice, super polite, you know, so I have nothing but respect for them. You know, there's some good people over there. But this was a game that started really close. Meade got the ball to start the half, uh, to start the first half, that is. And, you know, they put together a very good first drive, running the ball with four or five different players, including Gavin Gerritsen, Corby Teku, Evan Morris, uh, to drive almost 70, 80-ish yards to go ahead and score the first touchdown of the game uh, on a very physical drive. And, you know, this Johnstown community stadium they were going you know the vibes were there the there was a lot of excitement in the air and you could just feel it it felt like a classic small town friday night lights game you know and so there was already a lot of pressure with me being you know the away team going in here and hoping to score and you know they did that on the first drive kind of silencing the crowd a little bit here and also by the way this was um 
I don't know if it was a sold-out game, but it was as close as you could get to a sold-out game. The stands were completely full, and then, you know, just going all around the fence of the stadium, there were a lot of fans uh, just lining the fences of this game, and so there was a lot of hype behind this game, and there are a lot of people there to match it, but Meade, in my opinion, did a good job kind of calming down their team and, you know, getting on the board to start this game. And, you know, Meade really was controlling this game for the most part, you know, they they were just dominating on defense. Both defenses were flying in that first half, limiting the other. Now, Roosevelt, on the other hand, I think their starting quarterback, Brock Saya, he had some nerves. Now, he is a senior, but Brick Hartson has been the starter for the last couple years. And so, this is his first Mead game that he is starting, at least on the varsity level. And so, you could kind of tell with the nerves, he was missing a lot of throws, it felt, uh, going in now. Stat-wise, it says he was 17 of 21 in the entire game, so he really only missed four throws, but three of them came when they were in the red zone. Coaching staff called three straight passing plays, and he missed three straight times, um, all overshoots. You know, he just overshot the ball, uh, just throwing it way over, not throwing catchable balls. And then I think he had another pass as well after that drive, which they didn't score any points on that drive. Um, at least I don't think so. Yeah, they didn't, but this Roosevelt team played uh, very good defense, including an interception early on, which, you know, to be honest with you, it was like third and 30 for Meade. They had two straight holding calls, and so um, best case scenario for Gavin Garrettson, he completes the pass, and then maybe it's a more manageable, like, fourth down that they could call, but it was what it was, but Meade, um, they struggled, you know. I felt like they were very attached to the running game, which isn't a bad thing, you know. I know that's their bread and butter, but Roosevelt was playing them tough and just preventing them from getting into the end zone. And, you know, it kind of took Roosevelt some time to get going here. But eventually, Roosevelt would end up forcing a fumble that would set them up on the 30-yard line going into their own end zone. And so uh, that was big time. That happened at the 1 minute 59 second mark. And then at 1 minute 53 seconds, you know, Brock Sia would complete, I believe, his first pass pass of the game to their star wide receiver Tucker Peterson this was an excellent catch that absolutely ignited the crowd you know it wasn't bad coverage by Meade but you know what happened is that they both went up for the ball uh the ball tipped up into the air and Tucker Peterson eventually came down with it and so that kind of ignited the crowd got them going um got them back into the game I would say and then also put Roosevelt on the board now they went ahead and missed their PAT which sucks so it was a six to seven game with you know uh, about a minute 50 left for Meade and so Meade would try to drive but unfortunately they couldn't get anything going and Roosevelt would actually end up getting the ball with around 20 or 30 seconds left on the 50 yard line and you know this is when Brockside I think really gained some confidence settled down and started going um, he got going I should say because he completed I want to say either two passes or three straight passes to wide receiver Jaden Herrera who made some big plays um, and so that was big time because that actually set up Roosevelt in a good spot to go ahead and kick a field goal and make it nine to seven with momentum going into the second half of this rivalry game 
And you know what? It was a pretty close one at half. Uh, Roosevelt, they did have a couple plays here and there with Ryan Doucette, Cooper Walton each having some good runs, you know, um, but ultimately Roosevelt was just struggling to get going because Brock say their quarterback just I don't know I think he just needed to settle down a bit and you know after that touchdown throw to Tucker Peterson after that you know 20 or 30 second uh, quick drive to set up a Roosevelt field goal he was finally settling down uh, on the other end I feel like the Meade offense was just struggling to adjust to this Roosevelt defense. Um, this Roosevelt defense was starting to put a stranglehold on this Meade offense because I think to start out the game, they were a little shocked about how physical it was, and then they kind of started settling into the physicality of this game and started hitting back. And, you know, those edge rushers were getting some pressure off uh, the edges, obviously, on their quarterback, Gavin Garrettson, and they were, you know, stopping the run both inside and outside, and it was the outside runs really killing Meade. Uh, in that first half and really in the rest of this game because me did not score another touchdown this Roosevelt defense stood up strong and uh, stood up strong to this Meade offense and uh, kind of made a statement out here. And so big shout out to Clayton Robinson, uh, Cooper Walton, Jaden Casanueva. It felt like <laughs> it felt like every like Meade run for loss was because of one of these three. Their names are getting called out a lot in the second half on the defensive side of the ball as they just put the clamps on this Meade offense. You know, they, they couldn't run it outside is what was happening. And so they would just be, you know, stringing out these like stretch plays and outside run plays for Meade and tackling them for loss, you know, and that was kind of a big deal. Meade couldn't run it outside anymore and they were finding success outside. And so when that started happening, you know, they just started stacking the box and they couldn't run it inside either. And then Gavin Garrettson, I mean, I he just didn't have the greatest game in my opinion, but also the Meade coaching staff didn't adjust quick enough to this Roosevelt team because, you know, it was nine to seven going into the half and then Roosevelt uh, I think they ended up well they got the ball because me got the ball to start the half and Roosevelt started scoring you know Brock said he settled down and he started not only like you know settling down but he was turning up and doing his thing and he is probably a big reason why this Roosevelt team won this game by as much as they did to kick off the second half, you know, Roosevelt, they would find themselves in a fourth down situation, uh, kind of close to the red zone, you know, maybe 30 yards away. Cooper Waltz and the running back would eventually get that fourth down conversion, which would lead to uh, Mateo Leo receiving touchdown from quarterback Brock Sea at the 8 minute 13 second mark to put up Roosevelt 16 to 7. After that, at the 6 minute 50 second mark, that's where Roosevelt would pick off Gavin Gerritsen in the third quarter. Um, and, you know, they got the ball back again. And on this play, Brock said he did a very good job. Um, on this play, I think the pocket collapsed. He rolled out right. He made a, oh my gosh, he made a would-be tackler miss and then threw an absolute dot. 30 plus yards for a touchdown to number 83 to go ahead and extend this lead to a 23 to 7 lead 14 straight points right off the bat right after the half and so um you know roosevelt all of a sudden was up by almost three scores because they were up 23 to 7 at this point 
And I think this is kind of when Meade started panicking. I think they just straight up panicked because, you know, they looked at the scoreboard all of a sudden, you know, in two big strikes and two quick strikes, it felt like Roosevelt was up by that many points. And so defensively, like I said, they continued to play great. Uh, Coop Walton, Clayton Robinson, Jaden Casanueva, they just started, you know, putting Meade in a stranglehold. And, you know, uh, Meade, they just couldn't find anything going. On the other hand, this Roosevelt team, every time they got the ball, they were scoring. Roosevelt would actually end up getting the ball one more time in the third quarter, and they just started driving. And this drive would end with a 30-plus yard touchdown run by Brock Saya. Um, he just, I mean, he just saw that the left side was open and just sprinted basically 30 yards untouched for a touchdown. Well, actually, sorry, they put it, they marked him down at the one, but he would sneak it in on a quarterback sneak. But basically, 30-yard touchdown by Brock Saya to go ahead and. And put Roosevelt up 30-7 to with 11 minutes and 50 seconds left to play in the game. Only 10 seconds passed in the fourth quarter. And so, you know, at this point, I think me just tapped out. And a lot of it is in thanks to Brock Saia, who basically scored their first three drives coming out of the half. You know, really just igniting this Roosevelt offense out of nowhere. And, you know, Meade, I think they kind of just tapped out at this point. You know, it became too much of a big uh, lead for them. And, you know, they just couldn't adjust quick enough. All they could really do is run the ball and whatnot, which, you know, at this point, you had to have been passing. After, probably after that first Brock side or Brock Saya, I keep, I feel like I'm going back and forth. I'm going to stick with Saya. After that first Brock Saya touchdown, they should have started passing the ball. Fortunately, they didn't. I think another thing to keep in mind as well is that um, they didn't get the ball to Corby Teku as much as they probably could have this game. As much as I wanted to see this game, I think in the second half, he barely got any touches, if, if any at all, at that point. And, you know, that's a problem. But this Roosevelt offense was rolling at this point while the defense was just putting down the clamps. And, you know, the end score ended up being 37-7. to uh, Running back Xavier Ramirez for Roosevelt would score one more touchdown and basically put this thing away, you know. And watching this game, this Roosevelt team is dangerous, man. Tucker Peterson, he's a bonafide star. He's somebody who will... Uh, probably make our top five list next year and push for that number one spot because he's a talent, you know, and so you need to double team him because it became pretty apparent, you know, as the game went on that me didn't have a one guy that could just go one-on-one -on -one with him. You had to double him at one point. And I feel like that really became apparent where uh, Brock said, I think it was like third down, third and long or something like that. He... Felt the pressure from me because they brought the blitz and he knew that Tucker Peterson was one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. Threw a perfect out route to Tucker. Tucker Peterson went ahead and put a move on the corner and then ran like 15 more yards before he was eventually dragged down. And so Tucker Peterson, he's a problem. You need to double him if you're going to play him. You know, and that's, I mean, if you're trying to bring pressure on the quarterback as well. That means there's going to be a lot of cover zero looks, a lot of one-on-one -on -one looks. And so if you're the corner, you got to be prepared for that. Unfortunately, this me team just wasn't prepared for that. Uh, on the other hand, they also have a very good senior wide receiver and Keaton Kaiser, who had a very good game. I think as a runner, well, 
not think. I know, just as a football player in general, he had a very good game. But as a runner, he was slicing this meat defense. Beating them to the outside. Getting big gains. As a pass catcher, whenever he got the ball in his hands, you know, he just has a special ability to create, make the first guy miss, and then it's off to the races. And so with Keenan Kaiser, you probably... You know, it probably do some good to, you know, bracket him in, you know, double team him. And so when, and I think me possibly started doing this, but when you're double teaming Tucker Peterson, you're double teaming Keaton Kaiser, that allows other guys like a Jaden Herrera, um, like a Xavier Ramirez, like all these other weapons that they have to kind of just do their thing on the inside and just wreak havoc on the inside while they're doubling the outside with these two receivers, who in my opinion are as good as they come. These are probably... Uh, I, okay, I'll say this. I think they're the best receivers in 3A for sure. And they're definitely up there as far as Colorado talent goes. Regardless, though, this Roosevelt team looks very stacked. You know, they have great receivers. Uh, they're two running backs I feel like are really underrated, but they did a good job. That's Cooper Walton and Ryan Doucette. They had some nice gains up the middle. Defensively, I mean, Clayton Robinson, Jalen Castanueva, Cooper Walton, they are a tough team. They'll play the run pretty tough. And, you know, what? if you can't pass the ball on them, then, you know, you kind of got a problem. But also you have Tucker Peterson and Keaton Kaiser, I think, in your secondary. And they had a solid game on defense as well. And so this Roosevelt team looks strong. They look like a team that could go to state. This Meat team, I'm not out on just yet, but... Look, I know there's been talks about like, oh, Roosevelt played dirty and whatnot. I watched the game. I didn't feel like Roosevelt played dirty. I think just they just kicked your butt, Mead. That's all I got to say. It's, they put a whooping on you. Roosevelt put a whooping on you in their own home, and they celebrated it. And, you know, here, here it goes. Here it goes. I mean, I don't want to be a part of that group of... Not even, it's not even a small group. It's a pretty big part of Colorado like football fans who follow me and are like, oh, here they go. They can't win the big game, but it very much looked like that you couldn't win the big game when you got blew, blown out by Roosevelt 37-7. And so Meade, you got to bounce back. They don't have, I don't think they really play anybody on Roosevelt's level uh, for the rest of this regular season. But if they want any chance at making the playoffs, you know, most likely... They're going to have to either beat Roosevelt or Lutheran to make state, you know. And then they might have to beat one of these two again to go ahead and win state. And so Meade has a lot of learning to do, you know. Um, it was a close game. It was only 9-7 to seven and a half. And so this was a very winnable game for Meade in my opinion. But they just couldn't lock down on defense. And then, you know, by the fourth quarter, it looked like they gave up. You know, the body language wasn't there. They were getting blown off the line. They were getting smashed. And, you know, that just comes from playing, you know, soft or afraid. And you can't do either of those things. And so I'm not out on Meade yet. I'm still picking them to go ahead and go to state potentially. But they got to show me more. This was a very big game for Roosevelt more than Meade, obviously. And so... I don't know. We'll just have to see how that goes. But that will end up wrapping up this 3A episode. Uh, we'll see how these teams uh, respond going into next week. But let's go ahead and talk 4A football. There are kind of a lot of games to talk about this week on the 4A level. There was a lot of noise that happened on this 4A level. But let's hop into it. So on Thursday on the 4A level, we have three pretty important games, I would say. Chatfield versus Bear Creek. Now, Chatfield was definitely favored in this game, but Bear Creek would pull up 
pull off the upset, beating them 14 to 10. And halftime, it was 7 to 10 Chatfield. But after multiple turnovers on both sides, keeping in a close one, uh, Bear Creek would eventually force and recover a fumble that would set up a rushing touchdown from Ryan Segovia with two minutes left in the third. That would essentially win the game as they would play tough defense after that. Bear Creek upsetting Chatfield 14 to 10. Um, on the other side, we have Vista Peak versus Aurora Central. Now. Both of these teams are very interesting teams with good skill players, but Aurora Central's rushing attack proved to be too strong for Vista Peak, as Aurora Central takes care of business, winning 27-7, improving to 6-1 on the season, winning their 6th straight game. And then we have Rampart versus Coronado, both of these teams kind of having down seasons, but Rampart would go ahead and win a close one versus Coronado, 30-23, um, behind two Roman Valdez touchdowns, uh, leading, them, leading them to a close dub over Coronado. Uh, Valdez would end with five carries for 43 yards and a touchdown, along with two receptions for 52 yards and a touchdown. Rampart is now 2-5, and five, while Coronado sinks to 3-5. and four Friday and so to start out we got Dakota Ridge versus Stanley Lake Dakota Ridge undefeated they stay undefeated winning their seventh straight game in a row Noah Triplett explodes for 109 rushing yards on only 10 carries for five rushing touchdowns so half of his carries went for touchdowns which is absolutely insane but Dakota Ridge takes care of business 59 to 18 as they win their seventh straight then we got Fountain Fort Carson versus Freedom Monument. This was a pretty close game, to be honest with you. But Fountain Fort Carson would end up winning 42 to 28 at halftime. It was only 28 to 20. Keep in mind, um, with Fountain Fort Carson leading, and so there you go. But Fountain Fort Carson survives. A great performance from sophomore running back Wyatt Sharp, who ran 28 times for 161 rushing yards and two touchdowns. But Fountain Fort Carson continues to outscore uh, them as that game went on, and they ended up winning 42 to 28 in a good dub for them. Another game that happened that Friday night on the 4A level: Pueblo West versus Mesa Ridge. I have talked about both of these teams. Um, I talked about Pueblo West before the season start. Did a spotlight on Mesa Ridge. I said this is a game that you know might be a battle of dark horse teams here. You know, and this is an important game for both of these teams to win if they want to make the playoffs. And so Pueblo West actually goes ahead and they just take care of business. They win 35 to 14 and prove to five and two with a huge win on the season. While Mesa Ridge is now three and four after losing to Fountain Fort Carson by literally only seven points last week and losing this one to Pueblo West this week. Now they are in a position where they have to win their next three games to even have a chance at making the playoffs. And that, at that they'd be 6-4 and four in. You know, I think it's very doable. We'll just see if Mesa Ridge could swing that. On the other hand, Pueblo West, they had rushing touchdowns from Gavin Henderson, Jeremiah Sanchez, and Cole Brinkley put the, to put them over the top over Mesa Ridge. And then Sontag Porter also had five, or sorry, not five sacks, four sacks this game for West. Still pretty good. Um, goes ahead, I mean, he goes ahead and puts his name in the player of the week running for this week. But Pueblo West takes care of business versus Mesa Ridge 35-14. to 14. 
Now, this is another game I want to mention. Uh, Longmont versus Greeley Central. Longmont still needs to win out to basically have a... I mean, you know, to make the playoffs, to have a good chance of making the playoffs. Go ahead and take care of business versus Central, 51-14. Keegan Patterson, 21-28 of 28 for 294 passing yards, 5 passing touchdowns. Also had 7 carries for 43 yards and 2 rushing touchdowns. As Keegan Patterson continues to light up the state of Colorado, you know, willing this team forward into a potential playoff berth. But they got to keep winning. And so they are now 4-3. and three. They are now over 500 for the first time. Well, I think the first time this season. Ahead of their showdown with Loveland on Saturday. Another big game. So we'll see if Longmont could continue to keep it going there. Broomfield, uh, on the other hand, is uh, continuing to push for the playoffs as well. Um, beating Silver Creek 33-19. Both teams are now 3-4, and four, but the difference is that Broomfield has won their last couple games, and so they're going to continue to push for the playoffs, and they will need to win these next, or well, these last couple games of the season to have a chance at making the playoffs. Silver Creek, on the other hand, they're reeling pretty badly despite starting 3-0. They have now lost four straight football games, and so their playoff hopes are on the line. They're going to need to win soon as well to hopefully make the playoffs. But, you know, this playoff race is getting pretty close here with uh, some good teams, you know, just barely over 500 like Longmont or they're pushing uh, for 500 and over like Broomfield and Silver Creek. So we'll have to see how that goes. On Saturday, uh, me and the boys, me, Mason Austin, Cody Stauffer, went to a football game in the Springs. That is Pine Creek versus Douglas County. You know, you had the battle between dual threats, Antoine Jackson, AJ Jackson, and JoJo Roy. Pine Creek having lost last week to 5A team legend uh, by, I believe, only a score. And so looking to bounce back in this game. And man, did they bounce back. Running back Zion Hill, he had an excellent game where he just wore down this Douglas County team for 221 rushing yards, 3 touchdowns, and 19 carries, doing a great job. Now, this was kind of a closer game, you know, in the first quarter, partially the second quarter, but it really changed when Douglas County's best lineman, uh, Toppin, I believe went down with an injury he would not come back and so that kind of allowed Pine Creek's defense to eventually open it up and they were limiting AJ Jackson where they could and stopping him in the red zone and whatnot while Pine Creek's offense continued to roll uh, right here showing that they are still a very dominant team so Douglas County goes ahead and loses their first game of the season while Pine Creek bounces back from their loss last week now before we move on there is another foray game that we're gonna actually have mason austin talk about because he went to it and it was a palmer ridge versus ponderosa game an absolute thriller and so here's mason austin good morning and you were listening to the playmakers corner podcast my name is mason austin i'm going to be talking about the ponderosa versus palmer ridge game as a recap of the first half uh ponderosa kind of just dominated starting the game with a beautiful drive led on by number 15 andrew healed uh, he threw a great touchdown pass to the corner of the end zone 
which led them to their 7-0 start, and that was how the end of the first quarter happened. At the start of the second quarter, Ponderosa's defense did go ahead and get a fourth down stop to go ahead and allow their offense to get another chance. Their offense took it down the field and threw a strike over the middle from number 15 to number 41 for it to go ahead and be 14 to nothing. Coming off this touchdown, the Ponderosa defense went ahead and delivered a strike of their own with a pick six from number nine, Liam Edwards, to put them up 21-0 with 10-13 left in the second quarter. Following the pick six, they did go ahead and have three fourth down stops on that Ponderosa defense against the Palmer Ridge offense, and that would lead them into the half at 21-0, Ponderosa up. Coming out of the second half, it did look like a whole different ball game. Uh, Palmer Ridge went ahead and developed their first drive that led to their own touchdown, where number 81 actually picked up a fumble by number 21 and walked it into the end zone for their first score, making it 21-7, bringing out this Ponderosa offense that in the first half looked unstoppable, but they finally made their first mistake when they threw an interception in their own territory to go ahead and lead to a number 28 score for Palmer Ridge, making it 14 to 21. Right after this interception, number 15 comes back out and throws a dime throw to number five, a fellow freshman, and it was for 40 yards that led to their drive where they used a trick play in the red zone to go ahead and score, making it 28 to 14, Ponderosa up with 3.03 left in the third. At the end of the third, Palmer Ridge was driving, which went ahead and led to an early fourth quarter touchdown pass for number four, putting them down by one touchdown, 21-28. On the following drive, Ponderosa did go three and out and punted, which led to another beautiful drive by this Palmer Ridge offense leaning on the running backs 28 and 21, which 21 ended up going ahead and scoring with 3.56 left on the clock, putting them tied at 28-28. Following the tying score, Ponderosa did go ahead and throw a pick with three minutes left on the clock, giving the ball back to this Palmer Ridge offense, who then drove down and allowed number 21 to go ahead and get his next touchdown, putting Palmer Ridge up 35-28 with a minute 50 left in the game. On Ponderosa's next drive, number 15 did go ahead and deliver a beautiful strike for about 20 yards to number 41 to go ahead and put them at the 50-yard line where they did lead to taking a sack on a somewhat questionable call by this officiating crew, which did put them in a third and about 20 where they had an incompletion that led to fourth down where they ran a double pass that was incompleted, making it Palmer Ridge's ball with 30 seconds left on the clock that they ran out for the game. Final score, 35-28, Palmer Ridge wins. So now I'd like to go ahead and note a couple players that kind of stood out to me. Number 15, Andrew Heald for Ponderosa High School, their freshman quarterback. He delivered some strikes while taking some hits. He maneuvered in the pocket very well. He looked very poised for a young quarterback. This whole Ponderosa defense, they, they held this offensive line and the running game of Palmer Ridge very well in the first half. Now on the other side of the ball, 
I would like to say Connor Cook, number 21, and number 28, Nathaniel Robinson, looked electric behind this strong line, led by number 77, Connor Jones, and 68, Alec Falk. I'd like to put it out there that the Monument Moving Company is what this Palmer Ridge offensive line is called. And at the beginning of this season, I was not a believer, but after seeing that game, I can tell why they're called it, and I can say that they are legit. Now to go ahead and look forward into the rest of these two teams' futures and their schedules. Ponderosa sitting at 5-2. I do see a bright future for this team. They are very young. They looked electric. Their defense looks stout. They do have Heritage High School coming up, then Vista Ridge after that, and then they do face Montrose. So I think their biggest test this year coming up would be Montrose. I could definitely see this Ponderosa squad going about 7-3 and three to go ahead and finish off their year. Now, taking a look into this Palmer Ridge team, they do have Air Academy, then Heritage, then Vista Ridge coming up. So I see them finishing their season probably at 9-1, going into the playoffs and making a considerable and making a run to go ahead and face like a Montrose or Dakota Ridge. Either way, I do see a bright future for both of these teams. And I think number 15, the quarterback for Ponderosa, has a very good chance of being someone to watch out for. That will go ahead and end my segment here. Um, I'm Mason Austin, and this is the Playmakers Corner Podcast. All right, and thank you, Mason Austin. It sounded like a thriller, uh, being down 21-0 and coming back. That is a huge comeback for Palmer Ridge. Once again, the running back, Connor Cook, 16 carries, 89 rushing yards, 3 touchdowns. He is in the running for our Player of the Week. Now let's go ahead and talk 5A ball. All right, let's go ahead and talk 5A football. So there were a lot of close games this last week um, all over the state on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So let's go ahead and start with the Thursday football games here. So first off, we got Arapahoe versus Cherokee Trail. Arapahoe would go ahead and take care of business and win 42-28 with rushing touchdowns from DJ Montoya and Pyrese Miller. All rushing touchdowns from them to lead uh, Rappo with the dub over Cherokee Trail. Then Fairview and Rocky Mountain would also play another close one where Fairview would get their first dub without Grant Page thanks to the performance of Beckham Critzo, who went 30 of 40 for 306 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and one pick. Um, Fairview would end up winning this game, by the way, 20-14. to 14. Let me go ahead and read off the stat line from his receivers as well, because they had some good games. Uh, senior Ben Anderson caught five balls for 70 yards, two touchdowns. Sophomore Ben Hawley caught seven for 103 passing or receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. And then freshman Jordan Rochelle, 12 receptions, 95 receiving yards. Also had four carries for 20 yards. And so Fairview goes ahead, keep their playoff hopes alive in this close dub over Rocky Mountain. And then we have another upset with Pomona beating Ralston Valley. 
17-3, Ralston Valley previously being undefeated. But a Dion Mays and Chase Muller rushing touchdown by Pomona would basically put away Ralston Valley as they would eventually play excellent defense on this team that included a forced fumble interception and multiple fourth down stops in the second half as Pomona goes ahead and shuts down a Ralston Valley 17-3. On Friday, we have a yet another thriller on the 5A level. We have Cherry Creek versus Grandview. This would end up being a Cherry Creek dub, but just barely. They would win 21-13. Uh, while Cherry Creek goes ahead and improves to 6-1, and one, they go drop Grandview to 5-2. and two. Um, And honestly, it was maybe not as close a game as it looked. It was 21-7 in the fourth quarter before Malik Singleton, the safety for Grandview, uh, senior safety for Grandview, by the way, gets a 98-yard pick six and brings it to 13-21 against Cherry Creek with 10 minutes left in the fourth. Now, unfortunately, Grandview, they would have exactly two chances, two drives to go ahead and score and potentially tie the game or win the game, but resulted in stalled drives. Uh, and then this would result with Cherry Creek winning a close one, surviving Grandview 21-13. to Going up north to talk about this next game, we have Fossil Ridge versus Horizon. Now, Fossil Ridge, they are battling to stay in contention and possibly sneak into the playoffs. They go ahead and beat Horizon 40-32 to keep their hopes alive with the close dub. They go ahead and improve to 3-4. and four. Now, junior quarterback Tyler Kubat, uh, I believe it's Kubat or Kubat. I'm going to go with Kubat, though. Um, he is one of the leading passers in the entire state right now. This game was no different. He went 19 of 35 for 321 passing yards, three touchdowns, and threw one interception. And then standout senior defensive end, Nathan T. Hallmark, went ahead and got four sacks this game, um, continuing his streak of a sack each game so far this season. So Foster Ridge, keep it going at 3-4. and four. And then I wanted to mention this game, Valor Christian versus Castleview. Valor would go ahead and win 47-14. The Sawchuck brothers took this one over with Gavin Sawchuck, the senior, running 12 times for 185 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Gabe Sawchuck uh, carried the ball 23 times for 151 yards and two touchdowns. Colton Allen. Quarterback for Valor Christian, senior quarterback, also had a very good game, going 13 of 18 for 173 passing yards, a passing touchdown. He also ran six times for 65 rushing yards and two touchdowns as Valor Christian continues to roll. Uh, the last Friday game that I wanted to talk about here real quick was Arvada West versus Mullen. They'd go ahead and beat Arvada West would go ahead and beat Mullen 35 to 14 behind junior quarterback Ethan Cook. Um, just having a very good game. He went 14 of 25 for 274 passing yards and four touchdowns as they continue to roll. They're now at six and one with their one loss to Cherry Creek. Um, Brady Witherspoon for Arvada West also grabbed four catches for 174 pass or receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns in this game as Arvada West once again beats Mullen 35-14 and moves to 6-1. And, and then on Saturday, we have an absolute thriller of a game, Legend versus Regis Jesuit. Legend having just beat a good Pine Creek team last week and Regis Jesuit continuing to roll. 
Um, and this was a close one, like coming down to the wire close. But Legend would go ahead and get a huge dub over Regis Jesuit and win 42 to 41 as they go ahead and improve to six and one while dropping Regis Jesuit to four and three on the season. And I think this is important to throw out there, but Regis Jesuit was actually up 21 points with eight minutes to go in the third quarter. So here's another 21 point comeback once again. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of the success the legend was able to find was behind Colts and Warner waking up and having three second half passing touchdowns to go ahead and help close that gap. Now Regis Jesuit would score with a Xander Carroll rushing for a touchdown with about a minute left in the game, but Regis Jesuit would miss the PAT. And this would be costly uh, in the end because, you know, Legend would go ahead and they'd go, they were up at this point, 42 to 35. And so this missed field goal would allow Legend to go ahead and win this game in an absolute thriller of a game. Senior quarterback Colton Warner went 13 of 25 for 422 passing yards, four touchdowns, and one pick. And then senior wide receiver Jackson Brush, who has been on a tear lately, caught five balls for 189 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns as a Legend goes ahead and upsets Regis Jesuit. 42 to 41 in an absolute thriller of a game. So, of this last weekend, you know, we witnessed two comeback, like 21 point comeback dubs. Uh, we witnessed a lot of upsets. We witnessed a lot of um, interesting blowouts, statement wins as well. And so, it has been a great weekend of Colorado football. But come, come next, we're going to talk about our players of the week for this week seven football recap. Alright y'all, let's get this. So, Players of the Week, on the 1A level, it's going out to Ray outside linebacker, Junior Peyton Wade. He had five tackles and two interceptions in their dub versus Holyoke, so there you go. On the 2A level, we have senior quarterback from University, Greg Garza. He won 15 of 22 for 250 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. He also carried the ball 11 times for 44 yards and two rushing touchdowns and a huge dub over the academy. And then on the 3A level, this was kind of a tough one, not going to lie, but it's going to go to senior quarterback Brock Sea. He won 17 of 21 for 271 passing yards, Three passing touchdowns. Also carried the ball nine times for 59 yards and one rushing touchdown in their rivalry dub over Mead High School. On the 4A level, it's going to go to Palmer Ridge senior running back Connor Cook. He carried the time 16 times for 89 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns in their 21-point comeback victory over Ponderosa. He also got the game-winning touchdown, well, ultimately game-winning touchdown as well. 
And then finally on the 5A level, our 5A player of the week is senior quarterback from Legend High School, Colton Warner. He went 13 of 25 for 422 passing yards, four touchdowns, and one interception in their very own 21-point comeback victory over Regis Jesuit and so congrats to these players of the week uh, I feel like it was pretty obvious for a lot of these players you know a lot of these players doing it in big time games to either upset a team or come back and beat a team so congrats to these players once again all right and then lastly let's talk about some games next week in week eight that are games that we're looking out for. So we'll start on the 1A level. We've got Holyoke versus Wiggins. That's Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, that should be a big game between contenders. Uh, speaking of contenders, we got Lyman, the main contender, versus Ray. I believe it is at Ray. And so that's Friday at 7 p.m. as well. On the 2A level, we have Resurrection Christian versus Severance. I want to say that's Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to go ahead and skip 3A this week and talk about 4A. On 4A, there's Golden versus Chatfield. That's Thursday at 6 p.m. There's Windsor versus Silver Creek. That's Thursday, 7 p.m. Both of those teams looking to get back in the winning, winning column and hopefully make a little run here at the end of the regular season to, you know, to sneak into the playoffs. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Friday, 7 p.m. Pretty much every Broomfield game will be important because they can't really afford losing one. <laughs> and so that's Bryden versus Broomfield, Friday, 7 p.m. Uh, on Saturday, a rare 11 a.m. game, we have Longmont versus Loveland. This should be a good good one. Uh, Loveland, you know, they're one of the top defenses in the state versus one of the top offenses in the state. And probably, you know, playmaker of the year front runner Keegan Patterson in Longmont. And so that should be a good one. Later that day at 1.30 p.m., uh, you have Vista Ridge versus Montrose. That should be another great game as well. And by the way, I will be at the Golden versus Chatfield game on Thursday. So I'll be there for sure. Um, then 5A games to look out for. We have Fairview versus Fossil Ridge. That's Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, that should be a high-scoring game. A lot of passing. You know, got a lot of names there. Both of these teams uh, looking to make a little run on their own. They kind of... Kind of need a win out to make the playoffs, and so both of these teams need to do that in a big one. Um, and then on the 5A level, Cherry Creek versus Arapahoe. That is Friday night, 7 p.m. That should be a big one versus uh, Cherry Creek. That is undefeated versus Colorado teams. And then Arapahoe, who I believe only have one loss on the season so far and so Mason Austin will actually be at that game he actually might be on the sidelines of that game lookout and then I will be in Douglas County for that legend versus Douglas County game on Friday as well so a lot of big games to look out for and you know this regular season it's wrapping up uh only a couple teams will be able to make the playoffs and so a lot of teams are in high pressure situations win now situation so we'll see who comes out on top when all is said and done but that'll wrap up this week seven colorado football recap thank you for rocking with us all of our fans who have been rocking with us we have 
had an absolute time meeting some of y'all, meeting some of these players, meeting uh, coaches and reporters and all this stuff, and we're continuing to grow. Uh, shout out to Nine News for giving us a shout out on Twitter, by the way, after that Yuma uh, Wiggins game. And you know what? We're looking forward to continuing to grow and follow this season. There's a lot of great talent here, and we're having a fun time doing it. And so, if you want to continue to follow us, which I assume you already are, but go ahead and show us some love on our social medias. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok as well. We're uh, posting content there uh, just as much. And then feel free to go ahead and give us a good rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and uh, we appreciate that as well. So once again, we appreciate all of your support. I'm looking forward to another great weekend of Colorado football coming up. So, yeah.